0: Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. We are glad that you can come to our 11 o'clock worship service. Again, if you're here for the first time, we do welcome you, and uh, we hope that you will find uh, a place where you can grow in Christ uh, here. There's a story of a woman at work who received a phone call that her daughter was very sick with a fever. So she quickly left work and stopped by the local pharmacy to get some medication for her daughter. In the rush to get the medicine, she returned to the car to find that she had locked the keys inside the car, and now she's unable to get into the car to drive back home with uh, the much-needed medicine. Uh, She didn't know what to do, and so she began to panic. Uh, She called home and told the babysitter what had happened. She didn't know what to do. The babysitter told her to find uh, a clothes hanger uh, to see if then she'd be able to use it to open the door and then i'm sure you know that you can use a clothes hanger to stick it in between the window and the frame and try to jimmy the lock open well the woman looked around uh, at the parking lot and found an old rusty hanger but when she got a hold of the hanger and looked at it she said i have no idea how to use this and so she began to panic She cried, and she bowed her head and asked God to send her some help. Lord, help me. I'm desperate. Within five minutes, a motorcycle roared up and pulled into the parking space next to her. A rough, dirty-looking biker fellow got off and saw her situation. He asked uh, gruffly if he could help her. The woman thought, this is what you sent to help me, God? In her desperation, she said, Yes, I do need some help. I'm in a hurry and explained the situation. This biker fellow walked over to the car, and in less than a minute, with the hanger, the car door was open. Ecstatic with joy, this woman hugged the man and through her tears said, Thank you so much. You're such a nice man. The man replied, No, I'm not, lady. She said... What do you mean? He said, I just got out of prison for car theft. Even more, the woman hugged the man again and in sobbing tears cried out to the God, Thank you, God, for answering my prayers. I can't believe it. You even sent me a professional. (laughs) What a heart uh, in this woman to see God as a God who answers prayers in the everyday. And that is something he indeed does. Well, this morning as we continue our series entitled David, a man after God's own heart, we have been looking at characteristics that make up a heart for God. Last week we saw that a heart for God is characterized by a heart of trust. And this morning we want to see that a heart for God is characterized by a heart of prayer. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to encourage you to turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1st Samuel chapter 23 as we take a look at verses 1 to 14 Again, if you're new to the bible uh, 1st Samuel is found in the old testament towards the first third of the bible It goes joshua judges ruth and then we get to the book of first samuel first samuel chapter 23 verses 1 to 14 In these 14 verses we're going to see four situations in which david found the need to pray And in these four situations, I hope it will serve as a challenge to you that perhaps in a similar situation and in other situations, you will see it fit to cultivate a heart of prayer. The last time we left David, he had just escaped Gath. And David takes shelter in the caves of Adullam. In the beginning of chapter 22, we're told that 400 men join the cause of David. How wonderful it is that David, when he feels so alone, feels like he's the only one, wondering if if anyone knows he's perhaps imprisoned in Gath, that God sends him not one, not two, not three, but 400 men to encourage him. To make sure that his parents are protected and safe, he leaves them in the land of Moab. David is right to be concerned for the safety of his parents, As he would find out soon enough that Saul had slaughtered 85 priests of Nob, including Ahimelech, who had helped David by giving him bread. And as you remember last week, the sword of Goliath. Perhaps finding nowhere else to hide, David goes back to hiding in his own tribal land of Judah, and specifically in the forest of Hereth. And there in the forest, he receives some news, which we're going to find out at the beginning of chapter 23, is that the Philistines are attacking the city of Calah. Now, in these 14 verses, in this experience, we're going to see that David prays four times. As he inquires of God, he will receive God's answer through the Urim and the Thummim, which, unfortunately, we don't have time to talk much about now in this sermon. But the umim and the thumim are a way by which God is able to reveal himself and his will. And it's found in the priestly ephod that Abiathar, the lone survivor of the priestly massacre, the son of Ahimelech, brings to David, as David has vowed to protect him. And that's where we begin in chapter 23 of 1 Samuel, verse 1 and 2. Look with me. Then he told David, saying, Look. The Philistines are fighting against Calah, and they are robbing the threshing floor. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Calah. Someone tells David that Kayla, near the Philistine border, about 15 miles southwest of Bethlehem, is coming under the attack of the Philistines. The Philistines were plundering and stealing the threshing grain, or the grain that had been separated. Essentially, in other words, they were stealing the food supply of that city and the surrounding region. Now, you've got to remember that David is running away from Saul for his very life. It's ironic that the one who is to protect the people of Israel from the Philistines is really Saul. It's his responsibility as the king of Israel. And he doesn't seem to be doing anything to stop these raiding parties. David is caught in a bit of a quandary. He is in a difficult situation, a very uncertain situation. On the one hand, he's supposed to hide. That's the point of him hiding. And yet, if he helps the city of Kayla, he will expose his position. On the other hand, he feels a bit of responsibility to those who have sought his help. Especially from a city that is in his own tribe What to do in this situation a time of uncertainty The bible tells us in verse 2 that david prays and asks the lord what to do And the reply from the lord was go go and help kayla Here we see the first situation in which david prays if you're taking notes here's number one David prays in times of uncertainty Likewise, we are to pray, number one, in times of uncertainty. How many of us, when a situation is uncertain, how many of us, the first thing that we do is pray? In a situation of uncertainty, David prays because he understands that when one prays, he puts the uncertainty into the hands of a very certain God. I hope you understand that, my friends. In times of uncertainty, and that's the very nature of the word uncertainty, when we don't know whether to turn to the left or to the right, we pray because we put our uncertainties into the very hands of a very certain God. I'm reminded of a story of King George VI. In a Christmas Day address of the British Commonwealth in 1939 on the brink of World War II. And for those of you who don't know who George VI is, he's the king uh, as portrayed in The King's Speech, the movie. It's Christmas Day of 1939. It's a moment of history where the whole world was standing on the brink of uncertainty. Despondency and despair was in the air. And the people didn't know to whom they could turn. Unknown also to him was that his body was being racked by cancer to which he will succumb to in a few years and die from it. With all the uncertainty of the world, would there be war, would there be peace? And the unknowing of his own physical ailments, he uttered these memorable, memorable words that Christmas day. He says, a new year is at hand. We cannot tell what it will bring. If it brings peace, how thankful we all shall be. If it brings us continued struggle, we shall all remain undaunted. And then he went on to quote from Minnie Haskins' poem, The Gate of the Year. I hope you'll get a copy of that wonderful poem. The Gate of the Year. It pictures a man that stands at the gate of the next year. And the poem goes something like this. I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be better than light and safer than a known way. So many times in times of uncertainties that all we're asking for from God and from others, is is a ray of light, a ray of hope. Lord, I'm, I'm about to enter into a time of uncertainty. I just want to know a little bit about the future. And then he doesn't give it to us, and we wonder, how come God doesn't give it to us? We're just asking for a little ray of sunshine, a little glimmer of hope. But the reality is, God never promises to reveal what the future holds. He tells us to place our trust In the God who holds the future in his hands. You see, the poet tells us it's not about getting a little bit of light to tread safely into the unknown. It's putting our life, our hand, into the very hand of God. It shall be better than a glimmer of hope. It shall be safer than a known way. And I know some of us don't think about prayers even in the time of uncertainty. Because we already have that glimmer of hope. We think we know what we need to do. I think that David, in his heart of heart, believed that he knew what he needed to do. And yet, in times of uncertainty, he inquires of God. We are to pray in times of uncertainty. Look at verse 3 to verse 5. But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Cala against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Calah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Cala and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Calah. When David tells the people who are with him that they are to march on the city of Kayla to save them. The reaction from the people is, we are afraid. It's understandable that they are afraid. They were going up against a stronger and a more numerous Philistine army. Many of them were not battle ready. Many of them were not even military men. At this point, you would think that David, with a, a clear instruction from God to go would now do a brave heart speech. He will challenge them and give a rah-rah speech. Don't you guys remember? I took down Goliath. They sang songs of me. David has killed his tens of thousands. Guys, we can do this. What does he do? The Bible tells us in verse 4, he prays again. And he asks, Lord, what should I do? And the response of God, I, I, God, will deliver the Philistines into their hands. I will give you victory. I've often wondered what David prayed to God. It's not recorded in the Scriptures, but perhaps based on God's answer, I can conjecture perhaps what David prayed. Perhaps David prayed something like this, Dear Lord, What kind of people have you sent me? You want me to attack Kayla and save them. And you give me a bunch of cowards. You can be a bunch of people who are scared. They are afraid. You know what? That makes me afraid as well. Lord, are you sure about this? And God's response is not, I will give them boldness. I will let them see what they need to do. What does God tell them? Go. I will give them victory. It's about me. It's not about them. It's about me. And Here we have the second situation in which David prays, number two. David prays in times of fear. Likewise, we are to pray in times of fear. When we pray... We often do it in the times we are scared. I like the story of three pastors and ministers who were talking about praying in general and the appropriate and effective positions of prayer. As they were they having this discussion, there was a telephone repairman who was up on the telephone pole high above the ground working on a telephone system in the background. In their discussion of the proper position of prayer, one minister shared that he felt that the key was in the hands. He always held his hands together and and pointed them upward as a form of symbolic worship because when we pray, pointing upwards, we are reminded that we pray to the Lord, heaven on high. Well, the second minister disagreed and suggested that the real prayer was really conducted on our knees. We are to pray on our knees because it shows the humility of the one who is praying. To which a third pastor said that they were both wrong. And he suggested that the only position worth its salt to pray in. Was with stretched out arms flat on your face. Because we cannot look even at a holy God. So we better keep our head down. That is the best position to pray. By this time the phone repairman just couldn't stay out of the conversation. He was listening so intently. And so he came down from the telephone pole and interjected. He said, pastors, if you don't mind, I also have solved this mystery of which you are talking about the most powerful praying position. Would you mind if I share it with you? And they said, sure, absolutely. He said, ministers, I found that the most powerful prayer I've ever made when I was dangling upside down by my feet from a power pole suspended 40 feet above the ground. I prayed like I never prayed before call it prayer under pressure. It's a wonderment that we, in our inadequacies, in our inabilities, do not pray more under pressure. It's because we trust ourselves so much that we think we can handle little problems. We don't need to pray. We'll only bother God when we're really scared, when the problems are really big. My friends, if you see your life through the lenses, that every decision that you must make is of vital, supreme importance to God, which it is, then you will begin to pray under pressure. It's because we are overconfident in our ability and the fact that we are not fearful that we don't pray as much as we should fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom wise people pray verse 6 to verse 11 now it happened when Abiathar the son of Ahimelech fled to David at Calah that he went down with an ephod in his hand and Saul was told that David had gone to Calah so Saul said God has delivered him into my hand for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars And Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Cala to besiege David and his men. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. And David said, O Lord God of Israel, Your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Cala to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Cala deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Oh, Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. After David defeats the Philistines at Calah, Saul, of course, hears about it, and he assembles an army in a march to Cala to try to capture David. David's whereabouts are now exposed. Ironically, as you read these verses, Saul thinks that God is blessing him Saul thinks that God has shown him where David is, exposed him, and put him into a city which apparently is easy to lay siege to. I don't know. Perhaps Calah only had one entrance and one exit. And now, essentially, David was trapped in this city. Abiathar, most probably hiding in the forest of Hareth, now joins David in this liberated city of Calah. And he brings the e- priestly ephod with him. It is then that David hears that Saul is coming. He has a network, perhaps, of his own informants, people who are loyal to him, telling him that Saul is coming. And he prays again to the Lord a third time. And it's very interesting, his prayer. If you read it in verse 10, and it goes something like this, Lord, I know for a certainty that Saul is coming. So and so told me, perhaps. He would have prayed. Lord, I know he's coming, but but let me ask you a question. Lord, is he coming? I don't know if you caught that. David prays, I am certain, verse 10, I've certainly heard. I'm about 100% sure that Saul's coming. But I'm going to ask you, God, is Saul coming? What a strange prayer. But here we begin to see the third situation in which David prays. Number three. He prays in times of certainty. Yes, it's natural to pray in times of uncertainty. But how many of us pray in times of certainty? However certain we are of something, we better make sure we check with someone who holds the future in his hands. Do you even pray when you're so certain of something, something that's going to happen? David does. But it's something we don't do. I don't know about you, but even though we know something, it's not 100% however you want to couch it. People are naturally unreliable. Wouldn't you want to get an assurance from the only one who can give you 100% accuracy and certainty? We get a glimpse into the heart of David, and it is a heart of prayer. A man who inquires of God even in the times of uncertainty, but also in the times of certainty. Because at the end of the day, even with our human knowledge, even with our network of friends, do we really know? Are we really sure about the outcome? I'm reminded of a humorous story of a man by the name of Jeff. Jeff had six children, and Jeff was extremely proud of his achievement. He was so proud of himself that for years he would call his wife Anita with the title Mother of Six, in spite of her regular objections. Instead of calling her by her name, he would say, Mother of Six, please come. Mother of Six, it's time to go to the grocery. Well, many years of doing this, with the regular objection of his wife one evening uh, in their retirement years they went to a party it was late and jeff is ready to go home and wants to find out if anita is ready to leave as well and so jeff bellows at the top of his voice shall we go home mother of six well anita had heard it once too many times greatly irritated by jeff's lack of discretion for all these many years, yelled back at him, anytime you're ready, father of four, suddenly brings someone's uncertainty into his life. How certain are you? The famous preacher John Wesley once said, When I was young, I was sure of everything. But after a few years, I had made a thousand mistakes. I was not half so sure of the most things as I was before. And in my present old age, I'm hardly sure of anything except what God has revealed to me. I don't know what you hold in your life to be something of a certainty, Just this week, I experienced something on at least two occasions that I was just so sure it would happen. I didn't pray too much about it. And to my surprise, it didn't happen. God is teaching me this very lesson. We all better be praying even in our times of certainty. Notice David's prayer. It was not to ask God to prevent Saul from coming down. It was only to inquire If he was coming or not. You know, in prayer, we may be surprised that our prayers are not answered the way we want it to be answered. But if it doesn't go the way we want it to go, it doesn't mean God doesn't hear our prayers. God always hears our prayers, He's always listening. We talked about that last week. He has the freedom to answer any one of our requests in accordance with His will. Don't forget that. He is sovereign. He is free to do so. I need you to remember that prayer is not to change the mind of God. It is to inquire of it. Now, I can give my opinion on the matter. I can even tell Him what I'd like to happen. Lord, if if this is something you're planning, this is something I'd like. Is it in accordance with your will? You see, my friends, at at the very core, prayer is saying, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. It's not about me. Verse 12. And David said, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will deliver you. David prays to the Lord a fourth time. He asks the Lord, Lord, will these people that I've just liberated and saved... Will they betray me? Will they, will they turn me over to Saul? Now, why in the world would David ask that or pray for that? If you've just saved someone, if you've just saved them from certain death, would the first thing in your mind be, oh, you know what? I better be careful. They may betray me. No. That's probably the furthest thing you would be thinking about. I believe that David was confident and the people of are rallying to his support. And yet, he asks of it. Perhaps a bit of disbelief that they could even broach this, but he wanted to ask anyways. He even asked it two times in verse 11 and verse 12. Will they betray me? And the Lord says, yes. And here we see the fourth situation in which David prays, number four. He prays in times of confidence. We are likewise to pray in times of our own confidence. The Lord revealed that the people of Cala, perhaps to David's disbelief, that they would turn him over to Saul. Perhaps they were scared of the ruthlessness of Saul. Perhaps they had heard about what had happened to the priest of Nob and what happened to 85 of them for helping David. But regardless of the reason, David asks God. Even when most of us would be supremely confident of expecting the loyalties of the very people that we have just saved, we see in David a heart of prayer. We spoke about praying in times of certainty that speaks to the situation. But we are to pray in times of confidence which speak to our attitude. It doesn't matter how confident we are in our attitudes— We should always be humble enough to pray. Praying in times of confidence. Look at verse 13. So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Cala, and went wherever they could go. So it was told Saul that David escaped from Cala, so he halted the expedition. When David left Cala, Saul abandoned his plan to entrap him there. But he didn't relent. He continued to pursue David. Look at verse 14. And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hands. Verse 14 basically tells us that David and Saul... Played a massive game of hide and seek in the wilderness of Ziff. That's essentially what they were doing. A massive game of hide and seek. But you know what? It wasn't the hide and seek you played when you were a child. When you were discovered, now it's your turn to go find someone else. The stakes were pretty high in this game. If I find you, you die. You wanna play that game? It's a game that you cannot lose, it's a game that you cannot be found. If Saul finds David, he is dead. And every day they played this cat and mouse game, and every day David won. Can you imagine the frustrations of Saul? I don't know how long it was. If you lose at a game, let's say six to eight months every day, you think you'll be frustrated? I mean, you would expect to win at least once, but oh no. The Bible said David won every time. Now, you say, well, God was with them. Well, that's a Sunday school answer. Let me ask you this. Well, it's easy to hide when you're only one. You know, you can hide in a cave. You can hide under a tree. I don't know. How do you hide 600 people? Hey, guys, Saul's coming. Pretend to be a rock. Think about that. We forget sometimes that David is surrounded by these guys. He's got to ensure their safety as well. You're hiding 600, perhaps more, in this massive game of hide and seek with Saul, where the stake, where we're at stake, is your death. you know that David must have been praying every day, not only once a day, but almost at every movement. Lord, should I turn left? Lord, should I turn right? Lord, should I go forward? Lord, should I stay another night? It's not me wanting it so, but you just see it in this passage where in almost every every decision, he inquires of the Lord. And I believe that's the emphasis of this passage. David is a man of prayer. Multiple times a day. And look what the Bible says. Saul sought him every day. And naturally, it should be David escaped from him every day. No. Saul sought him every day, but it was God who did not deliver him into his hands. If God wanted David in the very hands of Saul, he would have said, David, do this. Right in the smack in the hands of Saul. But, oh, no, God didn't want David to be found. David prayed, and God answered. He asked him for every movement he was to make, and that's why he was safe. Did you notice the four situations that are given here? They are on the extremes of the same thing. What do I mean by that? David prays in time of certainty, and he prays in time of uncertainty. He prays in time of fear, and he prays in time of confidence. And the idea is he prays all throughout in every situation, and that's the idea there. I don't speak about techniques this morning. Prayer is a subject often talked about probably one of the most often talked about subject of which the people do the least. That's the truth. I can give you a thousand and one reasons how to pray better. You just go home and forget it. All I want you to do is just do it. It's as simple as that. If you see in your life a situation in all of the things that happen in your life, in the everyday, as situations of which you do not want to deviate from the will of God. Because you cannot make, afford to make choices where you will be drawn into a path that is not God's perfect will. Then I hope that will be the impetus for you to pray, not only every day, But in all situations. I hope that you are praying always under pressure. Some of us believe that we only pray when the problems are big. No. Anything small can become big when you don't pray. A simple cold can turn into something deadly. A simple encounter can turn into something terrible. I hope you are bathing everything in prayer. To see your choices as something, your daily choices as something so important that you cannot make them unless you have prayed first. Ian Bounds in his classic book, The Power of Prayer, tells us this. Men are God's method. The church is always looking for better methods. Therefore, God is looking for better men. What the church needs today is not more buildings or better buildings, not new organizations or more novel and innovative ideas and methods, but men whom the Holy Spirit can use. Men of prayer. Men mighty in prayer. You see, the Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through men. The Holy Spirit does not come upon buildings, but upon men. He does not anoint plants. He anoints men, men of prayer. It's my hope, my friends, that our church, each one of you, will be men and women of prayer. We want to cultivate to be a church that prays. Because men and women of prayer are men and women after God's own heart. Let's pray. Father, this morning, for the simplicity of your word, I'm reminded and we are reminded again of how important it is to lay before you our lives, to humbly come before you and seek you in all things. Father, convict us this morning to be men and women who are men and women of prayer. That before we dare to even take the next step, we will pray. Not because it's a lucky charm so that we can get what we want, But because, Lord, apart from you, we are nothing. Apart from a God who holds the future in his hand, we will be scared. But when we pray, Lord, how wonderful it is to simply put our hands in yours, our life in your hold, and not have to worry because we are securely in your hands. Lord, raise up this church to be a church that prays. Raise men and women of prayer raise men and women after God's own heart. In Jesus' name we pray.